The Management of Failure In late May 1940, the English army faced on the beaches of Dunkirk what could be its most ignominious defeat. The German panzer divisions had pushed the ill-equipped and ill-trained British forces into a tighter and tighter huddle and Hitler was ready to jerk the news already around their neck. The only escape was the sea. But now the advantage of being a seafaring people came to the rescue. The brunt of the Dunkirk evacuation was borne by the navy, but everybody else who had a boat joined in. Fishing trawlers and drifters, tugs and motorboats, yachts and pleasure boats, old Thames steamers and river craft of every kind joined into a great armada in verse to pluck beleaguered British troops out of Hitler's clutches. The waters on the Dunkirk beaches were like a boiling inferno, but again and again the little boats plunged in and brought back load after load of troops. One third of them were lost, but the bulk of the army was saved, and the British spirit was still intact. A. L. Rouse tells what it was like, seeing the troops coming back. We remember them as they came back from the channel and passed through the ports and railway stations where civilians brought them food and cigarettes, blackened, dirty, disarmed, but not at all dismayed by their ordeal. All their equipment had been abandoned in France. Artillery, machine guns, automobiles, thousands of trifles. It would take years to train and equip an army capable of re-entering Europe. In Churchill's report to the nation that week, he did not assign to Dunkirk any of the attributes of victory, but he did say, We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight in the seas and oceans. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender. Anyone desiring to be a good leader must learn the art of helping people rekindle their will after such an episode. In fact, it perhaps can be said that no one will ever be an effective motivator who does not know how to help people with their failures. The different ways in which different people react to failure is a motivational puzzle. What is it that causes some to sail forth into the world with great promise and a strong trajectory, then quit after only one defeat? Unable to rise from their failure, they scale down their dreams and live out their lives in resignation and cautious mediocrity. On the other hand, what causes some to be capable of endless renewal? Failure seems only to make them more determined to overcome, and when they stumble, they pick themselves up, look around to learn from their mistakes, and then go on to finish the race with distinction. If leaders can teach people how to handle failure creatively, it may be the most important contribution they can make. So rule number four for bringing out the best in people is this. Create an environment where failure is not fatal. 
I talked once to a woman with vast experience in politics who had observed the great and the near great. She said, Do you know what separates achievers from the masses? I once thought it was drive, intelligence, connections, but the longer I've watched people, the more I've discovered that, paradoxically, it is an ability to feel that makes for lasting success. That lesson was learned early by a young black girl who made her debut at New York's town hall too early. She was not ready for town hall, either in experience or personal maturity, and the critics flayed her. She went home to Philadelphia in disgrace. The members of her church had started her on her career by pulling their pennies, nickels, and dimes for what they called the fund for Marian Anderson's future. And after the New York debacle, she could not face her old friends or her teachers. The singer's embarrassment and depression lasted for more than a year, but Marian Anderson's mother would not give up. She continued to encourage her to tell her that failure is only temporary to try to convince her that she still had a gift. Then one afternoon, one of her pep talks sank in. She said, Marian, grace must come before greatness. Why don't you think about this failure a little and pray about it a lot? Looking back, the great vocalist who went on to help many other singers survive the despair she felt in that first bitter defeat said, Whatever is in my voice, faith has put there. Faith and my mother's words, grace must come before greatness. It is a wise mother and a wise leader who tenaciously teaches people how to learn from their mistakes and how to keep from quitting. Some business people are constantly firing employees who stumble, for they cannot brook failure. But the best managers expect their people to make mistakes, and instead of replacing staff constantly, they recognize that it is more efficient to teach people how to cope with their failures and learn from their mistakes. In other words, they are not so much judges and disciplinarians as they are coaches and teachers, and they know that when people fall, it is one of the most important intersections for their motivational work. If they can impart perseverance and tenacity and help others learn from their errors, they will be doing them an important service and at the same time be creating a superior organization. When asked for the ingredients of good management, Charles Knight, Chief Executive Officer of Emerson Electric, said boldly, You need the ability to fail. I'm amazed at the number of organizations that set up an environment where they do not permit their people to be wrong. You cannot innovate unless you are willing to accept some mistakes.